it's not that bad. Um, hopefully when you, ah, good morning, I didn't say good morning. Hopefully when you, um, when you came in this morning, you may have picked up something that looks a bit like this. Uh, that's kind of your cheat sheet, maybe. Um, I just thought, I, I don't normally do this, but I thought, ah, oh, it'd be nice to kind of, you know, I'll probably say a lot of words and I'm reading bits from some books and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, it'd be nice for you to have a copy, um, so that's just something you can refer to. Also, because I'm notoriously bad at making PowerPoint slides, so uh, if you can't read what's on the screen, it's probably on this paper anyway. Um, so, I've got to say, when, um, when David kind of let me know a number of weeks ago what I'd be preaching on this morning, um, I was not excited at all. Um, the last thing you kind of want to preach on is sin in general because it's a very unpopular sort of thing. You know, the more you talk about it, the more you feel convicted. Uh, it's, not, <laughs> it's not an enjoyable topic. And then on top of that, pride's just like the worst one to, to talk about. The more you talk about it, the more you think, ah, oh, this is me, this applies to me. Uh, so I'm, um, yeah... We'll see how this goes. Hey, Evelyn. Uh, she might make an appearance throughout. That's fine. Um, have a think. Uh, if you had to rank, and maybe you'll pick up from the topic of today, but if you had to rank all the possible sins that you could think of, um, what would you rank as the worst? What would just be the, the absolute pits, the worst sin? Um, C.S. Lewis, who you probably have heard of. Um, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity and um, I'll talk a bit more about it. I'm going to actually read some sections from this because it, it is really good and it has some really good teaching on pride. Um, but uh, he, he calls pride the great sin. He calls it almost, uh, you could call it the, um, the source of sin even. Um, he, he puts the argument forward and I tend to agree with it that at the end of the day, all the other sins spring from pride. Um, they spring from a, a me-first attitude. I'm the most important. I can do what I like. Everyone else is less than me, so it doesn't matter if I... Dot, 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 whatever it is. Um, even if you look at the book of Isaiah, right, and you go to about chapter 14, it talks about Satan and, and why he fell. And essentially it boils down to pride. Um, his, his issue was, says, he desired to set his throne above God's stars, meaning the other angels, and he wanted to climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. He wanted to be God. He wanted to replace God. He wanted to be the top dog. And that's, that's pride. So what does he... Uh, later, you know, you, you, you can kind of flick to Genesis and, and you can see what exactly does Satan use to tempt... Adam and Eve in the garden. Again, it's pride. It's the issue of who's going to be the one in charge. And he's, so, you know, you know the story. Um, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat, don't eat from this tree. And, and the serpent basically sets a counter-narrative, a, a, an opposite story. And he says, you won't die. This is Genesis 3, 4. Uh, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God. So again, exactly the same story. Pride's kind of the, the thing that infects all of us. Um, 
you and I will probably sin in very different ways. Uh, I might not be a liar, you might not be gluttonous, I might not be violent, you might not be prone to whatever. We all kind of have different stuff that haunts us and other things that we think, oh, that's pretty easy, I don't have to worry too much about that. But pride's kind of the universal sin. It's the one that sits at everyone's, in everyone's heart um, and is the root of all rebellion against God. So if you uh, trust the Bible in its, in its assessment of the human heart of saying it's, it's essentially broken, everyone is, is kind of against God until he redeems them, everyone is set against God, that's pride. It's all pride. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at. So I hope I've kind of, I don't know, made you feel like this is a serious issue because uh, it, it really is. Um, so this book, Mir Christianity, before I go any further, I can't endorse this book highly enough. Um, super easy to get. This one, uh, I borrowed it from, from the library, but it, it apparently cost $3.25. So even if I went to the cafe and said, I'll pay you in books for my coffee, I couldn't quite get one coffee with this book. That's how cheap it is. Um, but it's fantastic. C.S. Lewis, um, yes, he wrote these great fantasy books, you know, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, all the Narnia series and a bunch of others. Um, but he was one of the really um, approachable, strong theological thinkers of the modern age. You know, he only died in, I think, 70-something. Uh, so very, very recent. And uh, there's this... Oh, there it is. Cool. So there's this book, Mere Christianity. And that's a more modern version if you, get, if you get this old version, you get some weird-looking animals and a very disproportionate baby on the cover. Uh, they're all bug-eyed, um, but fantastic. I read this for the first time when I was probably about, I don't know, 15, 16, maybe 17, um, and it just helped to uh, codify some of those Christian things that we kind of we know or we've tried to think about but are kind of hard to wrap our heads around. Lewis does an amazing job of explaining and defending the Christian faith. Um, came from an, uh, he was an atheist um, and then he became a Christian and did a radio show and that's where all this, all this comes from was from his radio show during, I think, World War II. Um, he'd do this radio show about people would kind of challenge him on, on the faith and, and he'd say, well, let me answer that. And so he turned it into a book um, later in his life. So definitely definitely read that. Um, and that's what I'm going to be doing today. So let me start. Hopefully it'll give you a taste for the book as well as um, for the topic. Uh, so this is, this is kind of what Lewis says on, on pride. Um, he says, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. The more we have of it in ourselves the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking of is pride or self-conceit and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. That's a pretty 
for something that we often pay lip service to, you know, we kind of go, oh, they're a bit proud, ah, oh, whatever. It's just how they are. Um, Lewis is saying, no, it is the complete anti-God state of mind. Um, maybe just take a second, um, turn to your husband, wife, son, daughter, whoever's sitting next to you, and just try and brainstorm for a second. Why, why pride? Why specifically pride? Why not violence? Why not some other sin? Why is pride specifically the anti-God state of mind? So just take a moment, talk amongst yourselves and just have a think. Why is pride the anti-God state of mind? Why specifically? Alright. Hopefully these are conversations that you will pick up later and, and I'm actually going to leave you with some questions that you can continue discussing afterwards. But it's so good to see you all interacting with each other. My secret fear was that you'd all sit there in silence and look at me, which would have been so awkward. Um, this, is, this is what Lewis has to say. Why is, why is pride the anti-God state of mind? He says, pride is competitive by its very nature. Um, and that's why it goes on and on. Um, it's pride that has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Um, other vices might sometimes bring people together. Uh, you, can, you can probably find good fellowship and, and some jokes and friendliness um, amongst the drunk people or the unchaste people. Um, but pride means enmity. Let me use my little clicker here. Enmity, that's what enmity means. Um, pride always means enmity. Um, it is enmity. Um, not just between man and man or human and human, but against human and God. So what is enmity? It's hostility. It's opposition. Um, if you think back to that story of the fall of Satan, um, there's, there's, once pride entered his heart, once he decided he wanted to be God, there's, there's not room for two at the top, right? So you, as soon as you allow pride to kind of get, get rooted in your heart, there's just not room for anyone else. Um, that's why it's, it's oppositional, it's competitive. Um, a great example is uh, you, you see these people, they are super rich, sometimes they're in the news, you know, some of the, the millionaires and even the billionaires that are around the world. Um, do any of them say, right, got enough money now, I'm done, I'm out of business, I'm just going to uh, sit and enjoy it? No, they continue to accumulate, don't they? They will often continue to absorb other companies, continue to expand their power base, um, continue to grow what they have. Why is that? Could, could anyone really spend $100 million in a lifetime? Not, not really, not in any quantifiably different sense than $50 million or $75 million. Uh, but they grow their wealth and their power because it's pride. It's, it's the sense of as long as there are others who have more, as long as there are others who are more powerful than me, they, I, I, I'm not content with being second, I'm not content with being third, I must be number one. And you and I might sit here and, and we've kind of written off some aspects of life. We don't, I don't know if there's anyone here that really believes they're ever going to be a multi-billionaire and going to be one of the world's richest, you know, top seven richest people in the world. I don't have that dream anymore. I might have when I was a child, but it's, it's dead, it's over. But we still compete. We compete in smaller ways. We compete within our family. 
We compete within our church. We compete within our friendship groups. We might compete at work um, and we think, I, I'm just not content with other people's success. I'm not content with uh, not expanding and, and being number one. I will compete, compete, compete. And that's why pride is enmity. Um, we're going we're gonna to just leave Lewis alone for a second um, and I want to tell you a little bit of a story. It's a little bit of a silly story. It makes me look a little bit silly, but that's okay. It's good for my pride. Um, I went to university at uh, my, the first time um, at Victoria University over in... The, the campus was in St Albans, right? And one of the great things about this university was free parking, right? All the parking you want because it's just paddocks as far as the eye can see. So you can park your car anywhere. And uh, so I'd drive over each day and, and I had a friend. His name was Jade, a uh, good guy. And uh, we'd kind of, we'd finish class and we'd walk off to our cars and we'd drive home and we'd chat as we're walking. And uh, I don't remember what we're talking about. Something, maybe he was reminding me that some big project was due the next day or maybe he was, it was some friendly banter. I don't exactly remember. But do you ever do that thing where you kind of go, as, as a bit of a... Um, comical or mock response to what someone says. You like pretend to palm your head in frustration. You go, ah, silly. You're not really smacking yourself in the head. It's a comical response, right? Well, I decided to take it up a notch. And so I'm standing next to my car. He said whatever he said. And uh, I made the dubious choice to pretend to mock, hit my head on the roof of the car. And if you're going to do a joke like that, you've got to commit, right? Like, you've got to, you can't just go, it's, it doesn't work. It looks like you've got neck problems or something. You can't hold your head up. So I really gave it a good shot. I was like, like that. But what I forgot is that, all right, when you do it with your hand, your hand is here. There's all this space there, right? When you do it on the roof of a car, it's completely flat. You smack your nose into the top of the car. Uh, and that's what I did. I literally smacked my own face into the roof of the car. Um, but what did I, how, did I, what, how did I deal with that? Did I, did I let on? Of course not. I completely just steeled myself and pretended like nothing had happened. Just did not let on. There were probably tears running down my eyes. I don't know. I'm sure he would have been able to tell because it made a big thunk sound as I hit the roof. But I just completely kept my cool, did not let on that I felt like I'd probably broken my nose. And you've got to ask the question, why, why do we do that? Why do we sometimes, we, we do something dumb, make a mistake, we hurt ourselves, whatever, and uh, we just, we don't want to let on, we don't want the other person to know. It's not like, he's, uh, you know, he's my friend, so it's not like he's going to come over and do it again to me or something. Um, but it, essentially it's pride, isn't it? It's pride. It's pride that says... Um, I don't want you to know that I'm not this illusionary thing that we like to believe we are. We like to believe that we're so moral, so great, so in control. We like to believe that we're, you know, kind of, we've got life in hand. And then we do something dumb and we smack our nose into the car and uh, we, don't, we don't want to break the illusion for everyone else. Um, and that's pride. It's pride and it creates separation um, and it just causes relational breakdown. So, 
Yeah. So, um, in terms of that, Lewis, Lewis writes this. You know, pride, pride being, I want to be the top dog. I want everyone to think I'm worthy of being the top dog. Lewis writes, In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself to be nothing in comparison, uh, you don't know God at all. As long as you're proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things, always looking down on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When we adopt a proud mindset, we shut God out. We buy into that original lie that we can be our own God. Um, I highly recommend that you grab this and even just read the section on pride because there are some hugely challenging things on on how, um, as as Christians, we let pride into our life and how we can be guilty of just paying lip service to God. You know, oh yeah, yeah. of course God's above me, of course. But deep in our hearts, we kind of think God's our plaything. God's just there to serve us. Um, so that's something you can you can go and find. Um, so pride is pride is this barrier between us and God and a barrier between us and each other. So pretty heavy stuff. And of course if you look at if you look at what Proverbs has to say, that's kind of the basis for this for this whole kind of series we're doing. Oh, that way. That's the one. Here are some just an assortment of proverbs on pride. And I'll give you a hint. None of them none of them endorse it. So what do we got? We got all who fear the Lord will hate evil, therefore I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Well how about this one? The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, uh, but he will establish the border of the widow. Or there's uh, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Though hand join in hand, he shall not go unpunished. Um, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You've got all these on your paper. They're all quite down on pride. Uh, It really lays it in. Why? Because as Lewis says, as Lewis says, there's just not space. There's not space for two gods. Um, if we're pride, if we want to take that spot, we make ourselves God's competitor. And uh, it's not something we can win. Pride is anti-God. And if we read these Proverbs, we see that God is anti-pride. Um, let's single one of these Proverbs out. Let's look at um, 11.2. That's kind of that one down there. And it says, uh, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. So, looking at this, we can go, okay, humility is not just the antidote to pride, it's the cure. Humility is the polar opposite to pride. Um, So maybe we need to have a think about humility. Brendan reminded me this morning that humility is one of the, the core values of this church. It's up on our on our door, I think, as you walk in. So, we do well to kind of take some time and examine humility. Um, in his letter to the Philippian church, um, Paul writes a great little passage, not exclusively on the issue of pride and humility, but man, it sets a great tone and a great example for us. So that's what we're going to look at. Um, it's Philippians 2, kind of verses 1 through to 11. Um, again, it's on your paper, so 
If you want to work from the same version as me, check your paper and I'll read it to you. Good. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, and this is probably a, a, a hymn or, or a, a, a section of wisdom teaching from the early church. Um, that's why it's set out differently. Um, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's really good. Um, really, really good stepping out of what is humility, what does it look like, and why, why do it? Um, so we're going to go through I, I kind of looked at that and thought, there's kind of three key things I want to draw out of that. So I've actually given you three blank spaces um, on your thing. You don't have to use that. Some people just find it nice to write stuff down. Um, but uh, here's the first one. Humility brings unity. Um, Paul's really clear in his instruction here. Um, if we want to get rid of pride, and I hope that's something that we can all kind of say yes to, um, then we have to do it in what he describes as like-minded love. Um, so what does this look like? Um, I want to be really clear in saying that unity, you know, humility, humility brings unity. Unity, like-minded love, is not the same as saying we all agree on everything. Um, and you have to agree on everything, otherwise it's, you're not unified or you're somehow against unity. Not it at all. Um, the first and foremost is Paul is setting this in relation, uh, in context of our relationships. This is not about intellectual agreement or theological agreement necessarily. It's about relationally caring for each other. That's the sort of unity that humility brings. Um, so keep that in your mind. Um, Paul goes on, you know, he says, be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. And then he says, and this is this relational side, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, he's saying, don't, don't just go after the things that you want. Um, rather in humility, and this is the, again the relational side, value others above yourself. See them as more important. Um, you don't have to agree to do that. It's about worth. It's about ascribing people worth that's higher than your own. Um, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
Um, when humility is a characteristic of the body, it's not going to matter whether or not we agree um, on everything. Um, of course, there will, be, there will be core beliefs that we say, okay, that kind of defines um, our theology or something, but very seldom do we disagree on those. Very, very seldom. I mean, I don't think... I feel fairly confident saying there's not really anyone here that questions whether Jesus was really the Son of God. I would expect if you're here this morning, that's probably, maybe there's a few exceptions, but that's probably where you'd sit. So we don't have to worry so much about those core beliefs and, oh, what if someone challenges me on those? Because in the context of this community, that's not really the issue, is it? Um, he's talking about loving each other and valuing each other and ascribing worth um, and laying, his, his way of saying you express that is you lay down your own desires. You lay down the things that you'd prefer to have uh, in exchange for giving someone else what they'd prefer to have. Um, great example, uh, Rachel and I in our house, we just have one TV, right? And uh, that means that it's a negotiation about what we're going to watch because we can only watch one thing at a time we, and we like to watch TV together. We like to kind of be around each other so it's a negotiation. So I can't tell you how many times Rachel has been flicking through the program and she said to me, Oh, Brent, guess what? Doctor Who's on. We should totally watch that. Now, for you to appreciate what that means, Rachel hates Doctor Who. It's like the absolute antithesis of everything that she thinks TV should be. Me, on the other hand, I'm a big sci-fi buff. I love that sort of stuff and the the lousy costumes and the kind of hokey storylines don't bother me at all. I love it. Eat it up. Rachel, home renovation and things like that, that's her thing. So when she says... Hey Brent, Doctor Who's on TV, we should watch that. Uh, what's she doing? She's, she's just loving me. She's just saying, I love you, I want you to have the thing that you want um, and I'm happy to not have the thing that I want in exchange. Now, I don't sit there and say, Ah, oh, Rachel, you've got to agree with me first. You've got to love Doctor Who, otherwise we're not watching it. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to give you all the points... Occasionally I do this. I'm going to give you all the points about why it's a great show and... We, we can't kind of resolve what we're watching on TV until we actually agree about what makes a good TV show. No, I'm happy just to accept her love for me and she knows that in exchange, at other times, I'm going to say, I don't know, Fixer Upper is on and we should watch that. Um, we exchange, right? We do things out of love for one another and we don't try and bring the other person on board to our view before we're allowed to love each other. Um, we don't need to agree we just need to put each other first. Um, here's the next one. Humility does not use its power or position to serve itself. All right. um, that would be contra to what humility even is. Um, we read, Paul says, what's he say? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This really boggles the mind. Um, last year in, in theology, um, doing a, a Masters of Divinity, um, some of the guys had to write essays on, on this very topic. How does, how does God empty himself of being God and become human? How does that work? What, what happens there? Um, and I can tell you, no one walked away from that essay going, yep, got the answer, that was super easy, 3,000 words in a couple of hours, too easy. 
it is really, really hard for us to get our heads around. Um, I mean, when you kind of try to conceive of what God is, infinite, um, all-powerful, outside of time, um, all-knowing, he created the universe with just words. We can't conceive of God in that format. Then to try and think, how does he possibly, um, what does he do, shed that, compress that, I don't know, and enter into humanity and become like us, you know? Hard blow to the head and he'd be dead, you know? Like it's not, it's a far, far cry from being the omnipotent master of all things. Um, I kind of think of it like this. If, uh, if there was a way that I could um, turn into a worm, right? If I could turn into a worm, um, eat soil, just kind of worm my way through life, but still remember what it was like to be a human, drive a car, have opposable thumbs, the whole thing, it wouldn't even come close. That knowledge of what I'd given up, that humbling of, oh, I've become a worm, I've become lower than low, wouldn't even come close. It wouldn't scratch the surface of what it was like for God to become human. We can't conceive of the cost. Um, And yet that's what he did. He made himself a servant. He made himself a servant to sinful people. Um, He came solely to serve us. We're completely undeserving. And in doing so, he he set the trend, he set the the model for what he wants us to do. Um, This is the model for leadership, um, both in a formal sense, you know, I'm 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 the youth pastor here, I'm I'm formally a leader, Um, but we're all leaders within different contexts. We're leaders within our families, we're leaders maybe amongst our friendship groups, um, we're leaders amongst the church by the amount of influence we might be able to wield. Um, and this is the model for leadership. This is the model for all of us, how we use whatever uh, influence we have, big or small, formal or informal, is we don't use it to serve ourselves. Um, that's humility. That's, that's what Jesus has set forth. And it's super hard. Um, it's really hard because it comes at a cost and the cost is to us. Humility exalts God. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. When we, when we read the first few verses of this last little section, um, we might be tempted to think, ah, good, this is the bit I've been waiting for. Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. This is awesome. If I humble myself, God's going to make me into someone great and powerful and he's going to exalt me and everyone's going to look at me and think, wow, Brent's a really great guy. Look how humble he is. He's wonderful. Um, That's not it at all. Uh, This is not some sort of transaction or promise of a transaction that if we are humble, God will lift us up and make us into something great. In fact, desiring that will kill our humility stone cold dead um, because you can't fake humility to get influence and power. It just doesn't work that way. Um, no, he's, he's saying this. Um, yeah, I've lost my page. He's saying this. Um, when we humble ourselves, God is exalted. And that's the, that's the model. The model is when we humble ourselves, God is exalted. 
Um, let me read the rest of this, of this section. Um, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, God's not a proud God. I don't know if you've thought of this before. Sometimes the criticism of God from people outside um, is that, oh, he wants everyone to worship him because he's so prideful that he needs to be told, you know, you're, you're a good guy. He needs someone to, you know, pat his ego. Not it at all. We know from the, the way Jesus came, the way he lived and the cost to him, that God is the epitome of humility. Um, a proud God would have obliterated the universe and said, how dare you rebel against me? Who do you think you are? You're all gone. So God is a, is a humble God. And we're created in God's image. You know, before the fall, we were humble. Uh, we knew the distance between us and God. We knew how to put others first. We were humble. After the fall, pride comes in. It's the root of all this other sin. And uh, that's kind of where we sit now. So, if we want to be humble people, what is it we're aiming for? We're aiming to adopt a mentality where we disappear. We become less. We shrink. We become less. God becomes more. Each other becomes more. And really... We're not so concerned with ourselves anymore. We're not focused on what we're going to get out of it. We're not focused on, uh, if, I, if I concede in this area, where will they concede for me? How can I transact? Um, we're just saying, I step back. I love you. I'll put you first. I step back. That's humility. Um, when we can forget ourselves um, and just enjoy seeing God glorified. At the end of the day, that's, that's the point of humility. It's just we fade and we just enjoy seeing God glorified and we enjoy seeing each other succeed. You know, I should get a kick out of when you guys are doing well. You should get a kick out of when I'm doing well rather than that friction of competition which sometimes exists. Um, C.S. Lewis, and with this thought I'll, I'll almost be done, but C.S. Lewis... Um, he makes an extremely challenging observation. Um, he says, the first step to humility before anything else can happen is admitting we have pride in our hearts. Um, and that's an extremely tough thing to do. Um, it really, really is one of the hardest things to see in ourselves because it masks itself. The more proud you are, the more be- you will believe you're humble. You know, you will think, oh, I am a great guy. I don't have any pride. So pride is just so hard to detect but somehow we've got a great radar for it when it's in other people, don't we? We can look at them, oh, they're, they're a bit proud. Don't like that in them. Because it rubs against our pride. So he even goes as far as to say, if you want to find out how proud you are, have a think about how much it, it annoys you when other people are proud. And it will probably give a, a fairly good indicator about where you're at. Um, so thinking about that and, and thinking how, how can we best uh, put what I've just talked about to work Um, I thought, why don't we take a little bit of time, we'll close our eyes um, and have a think about and just ask God to illuminate our hearts, ask God to show us where our pride is. I can tell you now, I'm not looking forward to this exercise any more than you are. No one likes to have their pride exposed. But just have a think and invite God to show you and then invite God to change it, to transform your heart. 
and then I'll and then I'll pray uh, and um, leave you with some parting words. So why don't we do that now? Just close your eyes and take a moment, and I'll I'll pray once we've had a few minutes to do that. Lord, all glory belongs to you. And um, just as we reflect on what you gave up in order to save us, um, the absolute humility, humility doesn't even sum it up, but just the lowering that you did in order to save us um, at your own expense, at cost to you, the ultimate um, servant king, the ultimate servant leader. Uh, when we think about that, Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged. I pray that we'd be challenged on how well we're doing at that. I pray that we'd be challenged to think of others first, to think of you first, and for ourselves to fade out of the picture. Um, help us to give up on making ourselves number one. Help us to recognise the abundance of pride that is in our hearts. It's our, the root of our sinful condition. And Lord, although we'll never be completely free of it in this life, it will always keep bubbling up and regrowing. Please make us a people who are willing to keep taking ourselves to task over this, willing to keep getting inside and uh, rooting pride out and striving for humility, not for our own glory, not for our own good results and, and good experiences, but for your glory and for each other's good. Lord, we love you and we just want to be the best people to serve you that we can be. Amen. Um, if you look at that paper that I gave you, there's, there's one last thing on there, something that I had a lot of time to think about while I was preparing this, but just wasn't going to fit within, within this sermon. And um, it's, it's just two questions there that you can ask each other, that you can talk about over coffee, that you can talk about on the drive home, talk with your kids about, um, have these conversations. It'll help you process what we've just been through. But um, the two questions are, what effect does pride have on our ability to forgive each other? If I'm prideful, how does it affect my ability to forgive you? And if I'm prideful, how does it affect my ability to receive forgiveness from God? Um, just think on that, just dwell on that and I uh, hope you all have a great week. Thanks.